Welcome to the MyCode Podcast uh, Happy 2023. Uh, my name is Sergio Delamo. I am your host and I, I am here today with uh, Mark Saez. How are you, Mark? I am well, thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you too. Would you like to introduce yourself to the audience, Mark? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Mark Sales. I work for AWS and I'm a specialist solutions architect. So I help customers with our serverless services. So things like API Gateway, Lambda, SNS, SQS. Um, and I'm also really interested in Java and open source. Uh, so I lean heavily into those, those technology areas. For Agenda, we are uh, getting ready for the conference in 2023, but I have an online talk on the um, Brighton Kotlin uh, user group uh, on January 17th. I actually met uh, Lee, the organizer of the Brighton Kotlin uh, user group in an event that I was uh, hosting with Mark in 2022 when we were like talking about AWS Lambda and uh, the Micron framework. I think it was in London, or maybe it was in Dublin when we met Lee. Uh, don't remember anymore. Um, so yeah, if you are able to join me, uh, that's going to be an uh, online event. It's uh, the evening of the January 17th, the evening if you are based on in Europe. Um, uh, it's free, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, getting started with the MyCode framework. I will try to, to do my talk with uh, Kotlin, uh, which is going to be uh, a news for me. <laughs> so let's see how that goes. Uh, do you have anything on your site, Mark? No, not at the moment. I'm I'm in uh, conference application hell. So yeah, if anybody is uh, looking for public speakers to talk about Snapstart, then please uh, yeah feel free to reach out to me on on Twitter. As part of the agenda, I would like to cover a Micronote 3.8.0 release, which was announced uh, last week. Uh, this is our latest uh, minor release. Uh, as you know, in the MyCode framework, we follow semantic versioning, so uh, minor releases is where the presents uh, uh, are unwrapped, so it was really um, well targeted for Christmas, uh, let's say that way. Uh, we support, uh, let me go through, I have the blog post here in front of me, let me go through the biggest uh, uh, features, and I'm going to take the opportunity to talk with Mark about a couple of AWS-related features. Uh, uh, taking the advantage of having Mark as a host. Um, so uh, Micro 380 supports uh, GraalVM uh, 22.3.0. Uh, so that's the latest version of uh, GraalVM. We have support for probably the biggest uh, or the most uh, upvoted feature ever, which is in MicroData, we have like a ticket uh, to support multi-tenancy, which was uh, really, really demanded by the community. Uh, we have not support in MicroData for a data source uh, and a schema multi-tenancy mode. So that's the idea that uh, you could have uh, two databases, one database per client, for example, and your micro application uh, could basically, I don't know, maybe using the a subdomain or something like that. You could essentially like your your application code is the same, but you are essentially like uh, serving different um, uh, partition data, basically. So uh, if you have a SaaS application, you probably are thinking about multi-tenancy. Uh, we have on the plans to support also multi-tenancy uh, with a discrimination discrimination column. That's not there yet in Micro 3.8, but we are working on that. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, check it out if you uh, give us feedback about uh, if the multi-tenancy solution uh, works. We have another module called Micro Multi-Tenancy, which contains the logic for uh, resolving the tenant resolver. So whether you want to resolve the tenant with an HTTP header, with a subdomain, 
uh, fixed uh, tenor resolver, things like that. So, or maybe session based. So, check it out um, and let us know. We have also a, a big release in microdata as well, uh, supporting Azure Cosmos DB. So, you can use the repository patterns with Azure Cosmos DB. Uh, so, if you are on the uh, uh, Azure Cloud uh, and you want to check uh, Cosmos DB, um, now hopefully you will have a better developing experience with microdata. Uh, we have a couple of uh, new features in micro security. Uh, one of them is support for um, uh, Pixies or proof uh, key for code exchange. Um, this typically, what we will do is if the authentication server you are working with uh, tells you that uh, they support um, any code challenge method, either a plain or S256, we will essentially do the Pixie exchange for you. So it's quite transparent for you. Some people, um, micro applications typically in, when working with authorization code grant is a, a Pixie was not as required because you were not using something like the implicit flow, but some people really uh, needed this uh, because it was required by the organization that the uh, Pixie was uh, supported. So we, we, we have you covered now. Uh, so that's available in uh, Microt Security 390, which is um, part of Microt uh, 380 BOM. Um, we have features that I am quite excited about, and I think it's uh, quite exciting in terms of uh, serverless as well. And, and now that I have here Mark, uh, that's uh, great to talk with him about this, is we have um, ahead of time optimizations for the micro security module. Um, so let me uh, describe a scenario which you may face when working with AWS Lambda and Micronaut. So you may have, for example, a... You may be working with Amazon uh, Cognito, which is the authorization server offering by AWS. And uh, the way it works, our uh, OAuth2 integration, when you are working with an OpenID Connect provider such as Amazon Cognito, is uh, when the application is started, we do a network call uh, to Cognito to essentially download the server metadata. Based on what the authorization server uh, tells us, we, are, we configure the Micronet application, right? So we fetch this uh, information uh, via network request. And with the information, we essentially register some singletons uh, into your application. And then often these authorization servers, they will also like expose uh, their public keys that they are going to uh, basically, they're going to sign authentic ID tokens and access tokens. And they are going to expose the public keys that they use to sign those tokens in, in, a, in, a, in an endpoint, basically. So one of the things that we typically need to do in micro security is uh, before we are going to validate the signature of a JWT, we are going to have to do a yet another uh, network request uh, to fetch those keys. So as you can see, these are like two network requests that um, is going to be time consuming in, in, in every uh, deployment scenario, but this is especially more um, severe in serverless because... Uh, you are going to basically uh, incur on those costs in every cold startup, right? Uh, we are going to talk later with Mark about how AWS Snapstart uh, is going to help you uh, reduce those cold startups. Uh, what we have done in microsecurity is that you can opt in. So this is an opt-in feature. If you want, uh, if you know that your authorization server is, uh, you are comfortable of doing this uh, network request on build time instead of on, on first request, uh, you can configure micro security to do that. And this will basically, what, what I am seeing is, as you can imagine, any network request, 
uh, can go from up to one second. So this could basically save you like two seconds of startup time. So as I said, this is a opt-in. It's really easy to configure. Check out the MyCode security uh, documentation. This is an area that I am really uh, excited about. I think we could do something similar for uh, AWS Secret Manager or any Secret Manager solution that you are using, something like HashiCorp Vault or something like that, because uh, we could do the fetching of those secrets also on build time. Uh, and that will basically get rid of all these network penalties that you typically will um, will pay for when you are working on servers. You, you have to fetch secrets to configure your application. You have to fetch security configuration from authorization servers. And those network requests, they need to happen, right? So they, they either happen uh, on a startup or we could uh, offload them to build time. And that's what we are doing, uh, kind of the philosophy of Micron of offloading as much as possible uh, to build time. So if you are interested on, on, on checking that out, please do uh, give us any feedback. I'm really excited to see what, uh, what the Micronaut community is able to do with uh, these optimizations and any ideas that we can apply are more than welcome because I think um, for certain scenarios, I think for many people, the trade-off is going to be more than worth it. Um, so check it out. It's really, really interesting. And, and I think you, you hit the, the nail on the head especially with serverless because you just have more scale up events more more uh, jvm starting from from scratch effectively so each of those scale up events is going to go have to do those make make those network calls so you, you have a, a much um much bigger penalty um so so bringing all that uh, ahead of time is absolutely fantastic from from the uh, the trade off point of view, just to help my understanding, so the only trade off is is if the server's uh, certificates change, that you'd have to rebuild your application, or is there something else? For the authorization server, if the authorization server configuration changes, you will have to rebuild your application. For the for the JSON web set, uh, there is almost no penalty because uh, if the valid if the JSON JSON web key sets, they will be rotated, right? Uh, so the public keys that they typically are an authorization server, they typically expose to keys. One is the key that they are actively signing and the other is the key that they used before. So when they rotate keys, they are basically uh, adding one new and the active goes to uh, to passive. Um, but in if you wait long enough, uh, all the keys, they will be rotated. So what we do in security is uh, we will attempt to refresh those keys uh, upon failure. Fantastic. For that, that scenario, you will not need to rebuild the application for the authorization server configuration. Uh, just to explain people what that means is, um, on a startup, and this is really great from the industry, the industry has agreed on, on having this OpenID auto configuration specification and all the players, so Amazon Cognito, Google, um, Keycloak, uh, Okta, um, OutZero, all of them, they are compliant to this thing, right? So they exposed an endpoint uh, where they basically tell uh, frameworks such as MyCode uh, or Spring or Quarkus or any other framework, they tell how the authorization server is configured. And what, what I mean by that is they tell us where the token endpoint is. So if the token endpoint in the authorization server is a slash token or maybe it's a slash B1 token, uh, they are going to tell you the routes that you have to call. So the frameworks, in order to configure your applications, we have to essentially fetch that information to essentially know the routes. So that information typically will not change. It will depend on your authorization server, of course. But 
Cognito typically is not going to change where the token is exposed. Um, so uh, I see I, I see that for many people this is going to be like like a trade off that they can do. But of course, you have to understand the implications of uh, of of moving things to build time, and, and hopefully the we really we really convey those implications in the documentation. Awesome, that sounds fantastic. Another thing, uh, really talking about uh, uh, AWS Lambda, is uh, we added a new uh, CLI command. Uh, so this is currently not exposed on the web interface. So if you go to launch.micon.io, this is like a, a web application to generate uh, MyCode projects. Uh, we have uh, the same experience on the MyCode CLI, which is the uh, command line application. Uh, that you can easily install uh, if you are using SDK man is SDK man install a uh, micron and that will install you the um, the mycode CLI uh, and we have a command called um, uh, create AWS lambda which is gonna be an interactive prompt it's gonna uh, ask you questions uh, it's gonna guide you so it's gonna ask you questions such as uh, how do you want to write your uh, lambda maybe you want to write with controllers because this is gonna be a lambda this is gonna be like a a Lambda with an H, it's going to respond to HTTP request and it's going to have uh, multiple controllers. Uh, or do you want to write like uh, a Lambda with just a handler because maybe your Lambda is going to uh, respond to, to an S3 event, maybe? Uh, and it's going to guide you through questions. It's going to ask you, for example, um, do you want to use infrastructure as code with CDK, uh, which is something that we support since MyCode uh, 340? Uh, I was really um, interested on in building. Uh, and I think I, I, my my dream is to basically uh, br- bring this approach to the web as well. Um, I think we are in a point in Micronaut where we have so many features and so many kinds of applications that sometimes the the current the UI on Micronaut Launch is a bit constrained, right? And depending on the application, so if you are working with Lambda, but if you are working with Azure Functions or with Google, I don't know, for example, we in Micro 380, for example, we support uh, Google Cloud Events, right? And it is difficult in our current interface to basically expose those features to users, right? And with an interactive prompt, uh, it's kind of having a conversation with the developer, and we help them make the decisions about um, how they want to build the applications. Um, so the way we are trying to make people discover features is talking about them, such as we are doing in the podcast, uh, having MyCode guides, uh, but also when they want to generate projects, right? And I think this, um, uh, hopefully the community likes this uh, new command line uh, command as much as I do. Uh, and we'll talk more about uh, AWS Snapstar, but I think uh, probably we will uh, integrate it uh, here as well. Um, I don't know if we will like let them... So this will probably integrate more with our CDK integration. We can talk about that uh, more if you want, uh, Mark. In fact, let, let's talk about that because I don't think we have talked in the podcast. So uh, can you explain people what CDK is? Uh? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, CDK stands for Cloud Development Kit. And it is a set of libraries to define your infrastructure resources as Java code. So if you're if you're working in cloud environments, you might be familiar with things like um, Serverless Framework or Terraform or Pulumi. They're all they're all um, working in in the same sort of area. So what we want to do is to define our infrastructure 
um, in a programmatic way so that we can recreate those environments if we need to uh, and so that we can you know use our software engineering tools to to affect changes in in cloud environments so you know versioning uh, change control all those good things uh, and cdk is is basically very similar so it's a it's um a tool provided by aws and um it's provided in a number of different languages we'll talk about java today but other languages are available and it's just a really nice way of defining your infrastructure uh, and using the power of a, of a programming language so you know um, there are some uh, primitive objects around you know primitive uh, aws resources but that means that you can you know use your own uh, custom tooling to to build on those primitives and that's exactly what micronaut has done so micronaut has built uh, on top of the existing lambda function uh, primitives uh, to supply additional uh, functionality for for how how micronaut builds things with lambda which is awesome and uh, it just means that you know it's it's a much better developer experience you don't have to go digging around documentation to find the information that you need if you want to build a, a micronaut function and you just use the the functionality from the library, which is fantastic. Let me give the audience some background about the the micro CDK, uh, uh, my love story with CDK. Learning about the AWS cloud, uh, of course, I found about CloudFormation. Uh, you can write CloudFormation with YAML and JSON, I believe. Um, uh, but defining everything in CloudFormation is um, YAML or JSON is tricky. Uh, as with all these infrastructures code um, YAML representations, basically, uh, you have to be really, sometimes it's like a bit complicated to uh, to define. And then uh, Mark was telling me, you you as a programmer, if you check CDK, because you're going to love it. Um, and I was like, um, oh my God, no, another new AWS service that they have to learn about. And I was like keep uh, postponing that, and then one day I I see they have like a nice AWS. I think it's called like AWS CDK workshop or something like that. The website and that's really like a less than half an hour commitment, and uh, I was really excited because essentially is uh, you write Java code and you generate the uh, the cloud formation code. Um, so I think basically CDK what does it is generate it's like a um, an above layer on top of cloud formation. At the end of the day, you are gonna be like generating CloudFormation in YAML uh, or JSON, but you are never. You typically you can see the CloudFormation that is being generated for you, but you you never have to go into a, the YAML file and edit it. Uh, and to generate the same, to generate basically a serverless infrastructure, something like um, a Lambda API gateway, a DynamoDB table, uh, set up the whole IMM permissions uh, with CDKs like ten lines, even with Java. Which is verbose, uh, and when I saw that, I said, "This is really uh, interesting, especially for us in the framework, because one of the challenges that we have with the integration that we have with the cloud, with the cloud providers, how would we really test the functional test, the real functional test of I generate a lambda function, I deploy it to AWS Lambda, and I send a request, and the request responds, right? Uh, so we have, of course, we have many functional tests in the, at the code level, but at the the real deployment, the real, the real deal, like you generate the jar file or the uh, native executable and deploy it to Lambda. Uh, how would you do that? Uh, and we had like some um, functional tests, but when I saw CDK, I, I saw the possibility of basically creating a suite of 
Uh, because as you can imagine, we have like many, many scenarios because we support like Maven and Gradle for build tools. Uh, we support uh, in Lambda, we, we can generate like a Lambda with controllers and a Lambda without controllers. Uh, we support like three programming languages. So you can see the, the matrix of combinations uh, get exponential. Uh, and what uh, uh, we did is uh, if you go now to launch.micron.io and you select AWS Lambda feature, and you select AWS CDK, and you select uh, Amazon API Gateway, uh, and Dynamo, for example, and you click Generate Project, uh, what we will generate is we generate a multi-project build uh, in Gradle or uh, the equivalent in Maven. And in the Gradle project, you will find one folder called App, which will contain your micro application as you are used to with your application.java, etc., etc., and your controllers, etc., and in the other folder, you will find uh, another folder called Infra from Infrastructure. And there you will see like a couple of Java classes, which are uh, basically the CDK code. And uh, you will see also on the root of the project, you will see a test lambda.sh bus script. Uh, so what we, uh, we generate that more than for internal consumption. <laughs> Than for for end users, but what we do is uh, I have like a a big bus script which essentially will generate projects, deploy them to uh, Lambda in in a single bus script, send an HTTP request, check that the hello world response is coming through, and and basically test the different combinations uh, with uh, as a Java runtime, also as custom runtime when we deploy native executables. So when I saw the potential there and we put this together. This is when I, I was really happy and I was sleeping well at night because uh, before releasing a MyCode version, uh, and this happened to, for example, before releasing 3.8, what I do is I run this test suite that honestly takes like an hour uh, to finish because basically it's like creating application, deploying to the cloud, sending a request, checking the response, etc. cetera. Uh, but when the test suite passes, then I say, okay, the, our AWS Lambda integration is working and... And we didn't have any regression. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. You know, the, the depth of the testing there is amazing. Uh, and just to, to go back into like the, the CloudFormation YAML and uh, uh, CDK with, with Java, you know, it's, it's very easy to understand what properties are are required. And, you know, you, you can use your IDE. You can, you know, use tab completion. You know, you can dive into methods and, and see what the deal is. You know, you just can't do that same same sort of um, thing with the with with you know YAML. Um, so I think from a from a developer point of view, if you're a developer writing Java code day in day out, then I think you'll just enjoy using CDK a lot more than than CloudFormation or or something else. I do. <laughs> so if uh, my boat counts. Uh, I <laughs> I strongly recommend people to check it out. Um, we have so you can do things. For example, we have an example uh, in in a personal repo of using MyCode, AWS Lambda, uh, Route fifty three, Certificate Manager, uh, Amazon API Gateway, uh, DynamoDB, um, Lambda, and if you are doing that through the console, that's a lot of clicks. <laughs> Uh, to remember to do the same clicks the next time you are going to configure. And, and yeah, so check it out. Uh, my cut is, um, I am really excited about this integration with infrastructure as code uh, that we can provide. I think um, uh, CDK is just the beginning. I, I, 
I'm thinking, for example, that we could also, for example, add Gatling, for example, as a load test solution, and we could create like a multiplayer build with one of the the builds, which would be like um, some load test with Gatling. That would be fantastic. You know, the the amount of people who who are trying Lambda uh, and trying it with you know just a couple of invokes and. You know, I'm I'm always uh, telling them to copy and paste my project uh, uh, performance test and you know try it out themselves on a, on a larger scale. You know, I think I think that's really really cool. I would definitely uh, plus one that vote. So, if anyone in the community uh, wants us to support anything uh, in for the CLI or for lunch, uh, the best place is to go to. Uh, so the repository is called My Contest Starter. Um, so go to uh, the GitHub organization MyCode projects, uh, MyCode dash projects, and then the repo is called MyCode dash starter. Uh, create an issue there, a discussion, and uh, let's talk about it. That was uh, quite a, a, a departure from the topic, but let's. Uh, we were still talking about three eight zero. Another thing that we release uh, related to uh, AWS, not that they have mark here, is. Um, we added a small API uh, for a uh, API gateway uh, stage uh, resolution. So that's uh, one of the things that it's a bit annoying, uh, at least for me, when working with uh, Amazon API gateways. Um, you have like a stage called slash prod in your URL. Uh, and the requ- so if you have a controller, um, you have a class in your micro application called uh, add controller with hello. Uh, as the uh, and then you have like uh, so the route that you are expecting is gonna be like dash hello slash hello uh, the URL in API gateway is gonna be slash prod slash hello right uh, so in the moment your application is to do redirections from one controller to the other one it's gonna be confusing because if you want to redirect from I don't know to the other controller uh, slash books you don't have to redirect to slash books you have to redirect to slash prod books. Uh, so what we added is an API called Stage Resolver. Uh, it's documented on the MyCode AWS module that will basically resolve the stage uh, in case there is one. Uh, so if you are like running in a, you are running Amazon API with your own domain, uh, then there will not be no stage, and the Stage Resolver is going to basically return you like an empty optional. Uh, but if you are like running, you are like starting to develop in Amazon API gateway before you have like a custom domain, we have like an API to that basically is you that part. Um, so that was something that always annoyed me. So we have the API now in place. Nice. More about uh, AWS, we have now integration with in the Alexa part of AWS, we have integration with the local resolution. Uh, so if you, so one of the nice things of Developing Alexa skills with Java and Micronaut is that Java is quite mature in terms of internationalization. We have this whole idea of message dot properties with different locales. And we have integration of that in 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 if you are like using like Netty and we could resolve the local automatically. And you, you are using Alexa, Alexa is gonna tell you the the user local in a specific field of the Alexa request. And we basically have like integrated that into into the micro AWS module. So if you are like moving some part of your code to Alexa, that's gonna work um, the same. I mentioned before in the in the micro GCP, uh, we support uh, Google Cloud events. So if you are working with something like 
you have like a serverless function in Google Cloud uh, uh, for something like a cloud storage. Uh, you can use uh, Google Cloud Events, and that will be uh, like a better experience. Microsoft Oracle also supports uh, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure uh, version three as well. Uh, and a bunch of dependencies upgrades, as you can imagine. I will include a link in the show notes uh, to the Micro 3.8.0 release. Um, I think it's jam-packed. Uh, so check it out. One of the things that I wanted to talk to, with Mark about uh, in this uh, first episode of 2023 is uh, AWS uh, Lambda's uh, snap start. So I guess, uh, Mark, let's start by what AWS Lambda snap start is. And... Let's go from there. Yeah. Okay. So Lambda Snapstart. So Snapstart is a uh, a new feature for Lambda, uh, exclusively for Java version eleven at the moment, and <clears throat> the 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 aim is to increase performance, uh, specifically in regards to cold starts. So if you're familiar with with Lambda. Um, you'll notice that occasionally you get requests that just take a lot longer than others to 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 complete, um, and that isn't always down to to AWS, but often it's because we've scaled up behind the scenes, and we've created a new virtual machine to to handle maybe an increase in the traffic load that your your function is receiving. So behind the scenes, we 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 boot, boot up a new uh, virtual machine on uh, a bare metal host. We uh, start the Java JVM, we put your code into that JVM, and then we execute your code on your behalf with the with the request that's been made. And that, that all takes uh, a bit of extra time. Uh, and after that has happened, you know, additional requests will come to existing environments and, and you won't have that sort of uh, extra step in. Uh, with uh, Java applications, um, th- that cold start can take seconds, and that's not very cool if you've got a customer waiting for the response uh, on the on the end of a of a web page, for example. You know, maybe it's fine in some sort of asynchronous workload where you're consuming messages or sending emails or or some something else which is asynchronous, but. For synchronous workloads, uh, response time matters, and uh, even though cold starts were uh, typically you know fractions of a percentage, we we really want to you know continue to to optimize and improve that experience so that more and more people can bring their synchronous workloads to Lambda. So what did we do? We've we've released this thing called Snapstart, and. This is a uh, optimization that we've we've built uh, within AWS to um, really look at some of the overhead that each Lambda function incurs during a cold start. You know, every time there's a new cold start, we have to you know build a new virtual machine, add the JVM, add the customer code, boot everything up, and load everything into into the virtual machine, and then there's going to be a process of uh, just-in-time compilation and. And this happens for every virtual machine that is created. So if you have a high throughput system with you know a thousand JVMs, then you've got this process a thousand times. Snapstart looks to to remove all of that overhead. When you upload a new version of your code, we will uh, load your code um, in a separate worker, and we'll load your code onto a separate VM, separate JVM. And your code will be initialized just like it would do in a normal request. 
But at the end of that process, what we're gonna do is take a snapshot of the entire virtual machine. We're gonna split that up into a number of chunks and then we're gonna save that into a multi-tiered cache. Once that process has been uh, finished, then any request that comes into that version of code, we're gonna resume a VM instead of creating a new one you know, starting the VM, loading your code, we're just gonna rehydrate a VM image. So your application will start just from where it stopped previously. So any code that's loaded, any just-in-time compilation that has happened, any resources that have been downloaded or, or loaded into the application will be there ready, ready to go. We find this resume takes between 200 and 300 milliseconds. So it's a much faster, um, uh, mechanism of building out um, new environments. So as your application and your function scales up, we can restore new environments much quicker from the VM image. We, we have a post uh, that we wrote in the MyCode blog um, talking about the integration with MyCode and AWS Lambda Snapstart. Um, we, I wrote a, a sample application. I didn't want to write like a... So I, I ran the benchmarks with, with a Hello World application. And a Hello World application, what we were seeing is like, I was seeing like a little bit less of three seconds called the startup. And with the Snapstart, uh, I was seeing like um, less than half a second uh, called the startup. Um, the problem with the Hello World applications, and here I blame us, framework developers, is uh, sometimes they're, they are really not comparisons for the real world. Uh, so people like reading these blog posts about Hello World, this is how fast I am for a Hello World, is sometimes a bit misleading. Uh, so I wrote uh, an application, which I think is a decent representation of an application. So it has like 2,000 lines of Java, has uh, integration with MyCode security, with uh, OpenAPI, TimeLeaf. It has like a, a lot of transitive dependencies, same as you will have in your real application. It's not Hello World. This has like applications, dependencies, a decent number of dependencies as you will have in your own apps. Uh, it has, it uses DynamoDB as persistence, right? Uh, so I, I was more comfortable with having that as uh, sample code, right? Uh, so we ran the same uh, test and actually getting back to our conversation with CDK, uh, I will include a link to the project because the project in GitHub and anyone can check it out. Is, um, we have like a module for load test. And the scenario that we run is we run like uh, 50 concurrent users for three minutes and then uh, a ramp up to uh, 100 uh, concurrent users for two additional minutes, uh, which I, for me is honestly is a scenario that many people will not have. Many people will have less load than that in, in the real application. So I think that's like a, a decent one. And what we saw there is impressive as well. We saw like uh, in called the startup with uh, Java runtime without a snap start. We were like seeing like uh, almost uh, five seconds and a half, almost six seconds around that. And with a snap start, we were like seeing uh, a little bit above one second. Uh, so we saw like dramatic uh, improvements. For me, this is going to make viable for many people to use uh, Java with serverless. So we already had like uh, a solution for that, which was using native executable uh, built with GraalVM deployed to AWS custom runtime. This is going to be uh, 
Uh, if you want to use uh, the Java runtime, this is going to be uh, a, a solution for you. Uh, and uh, we really want to use uh, to get feedback from people. Um, we got even a faster um, faster call to startup when priming the 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 function. But uh, before talking about those numbers, uh, what's priming? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, priming is is kind of the name that that we've been using for uh, preparing an application to be ready for the snapshot to be taken. So, with AWS Lambda, we adhere to um, a project called Project Crack, which you may have heard of, um, which is a proposed uh, Open JDK project around uh, a set of APIs for. Uh, checkpointing Java applications and then resuming them later. So Project Crack, we can probably add a link to the to the show notes. This uh, API allows you to um, uh, create create a Java class which represents um, methods that should happen before and after a checkpoint event. Um, so in in Lambda's case, uh, before and after the snapshot is taken of the of the virtual machine. Um, this allows you to, to to really customize what your application is doing and what sort of information should be uh, and can be recorded into a snapshot. So, for example, um, if you're making database connections like TCP connections to, to a relational database, um, if you record that the application has an open uh, connection to a database and that is stored within the application image, uh, the VM image, when that application is resumed later on, it's going to think that it's got a network connection uh, still, but obviously that network connection is probably stale and is most likely stale. So most modern libraries will realize that that is a, a stale connection uh, and then do some sort of retry logic or, or you know reconnect logic. Um, you can use the 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 before and after snapshot hooks to to prepare or prime your application for the for the snapshotting process, and that that doesn't just uh, include you know uh, closing down network connections, but it can also mean um, things like um, executing uh, code paths so that your your application um, uh, is being compiled by by the just-in-time uh, compilers so that when your application is snapshotted uh, all of the code that you know your application is going to use is already pre-compiled so instead of having um, you know a first invoke having to compile all your classes it's already going to be done it's already already going to be saved within the snapshot image so when your your application is resumed you're just going straight away into into compiled code which is uh, you know a big difference Thanks for reminding me about Crack. Uh, so that's one another thing that we released in Micro 380. We have now a integration for Micro Crack in the Maven plugin as well. Uh, so let me. Uh, so Crack stands for Coordinated Restore Checkpoint. Um, I hopefully we can have like a dedicated podcast to talk about this uh, in the future. But um, just uh, so what we have is. Um, so this is currently supported by the Azul JDK. Uh, so they have like a, a Azul JDK, which will allow you to kind of similar to a Snapstart, kind of, I like to think as kind of hibernate your 
a program and then resume it, right? Um, so we have integration. We have a module called MyCodeCrack. It's basically for you means uh, adding a dependency. And the developer experience means that... Um, uh, so when if you were not using MyCode, you will have to register the resources. These resources are a kind of um, classes that are going to be like called before... Uh, before snapshotting in Snapstar or in or like hibernating in in Crack, however you want to call it, uh, and then uh, there is like another API to like to when they are going to be called after restoration, right? Um, so in MyCode, what we have done is you as a developer you just create singletons in your project, you annotate the class with that singleton, similar to any other singletons that you have in your applications, and then you implement an interface called order resource. Order resource basically is just what you can imagine is the resource is the API from Crack, and order is the MyCode uh, order uh, API, which you have seen in many places. And what this allows us to do is you can basically configure the order of your resources. So if you need the resources to be executed in a particular order, you will basically override the getOrder method and configure that. And what we have out of the box is uh, Marco saying, like, uh, if you have like a connections to a database, right? Uh, you have to like uh, to close that connection. Uh, so we have now integration with MyCode Data and Hikari. So if you are using Hikari as the connection pool, and you have like you are working with a relational database, um, uh, we will it will work out of the box. You don't have to do anything as a developer. We already have those resources already in MyCode Crack project, so you don't have to do anything. Uh, we have uh, also for other. Um, for example, for the refresh scope. So we have an annotation in MyCode called uh, add refreshable. Uh, and what we are going to do in, in MyCode crack, and this is configurable, so you can opt out. But the, by default, if you have MyCode crack before um, before AWS Lambda snap start uh, uh, snapshots, uh, so when it, go, when it goes to sleep, basically, what we are going to do is we are going to uh, basically destroy all these refreshable bins. So upon restoration, when a Snapstar resumes, they will be recreated, right? Uh, so we have a couple of things out of the box uh, for refreshables, for a connection pool, etc. Uh, so uh, and we will continue working on those. So my vision for this is that you, as a developer, you probably are going to have you are going to include MyCode crack in your Lambda and forget about it. The only thing that you're going to have to do is if you want to, if you want to prime your application, so if you want to like invoke it a lot before it gets a snapshot, this is the only scenario. Uh, one fun experiment that uh, I tried is um, I took one of the Alexa AWS samples uh, that was kind of the quiz uh, and I ported to Micronaut and many times in the Alexa skills, uh, so you know all the paths, right? So this is kind of uh, the user is going to ask me for a question, and I'm going to give this answer. So what I did, I I invoke it like uh, ten thousand times, uh, all the paths, and uh, before it's not, I think we have like fifteen minutes uh, before so the limit. So you can really invoke your application a lot, uh, and this is going to help a, lo a lot. I mean, it's not going to be a dramatic improvement as. Just adding a snap start, but it's gonna. What I am seeing is that you can get like an extra half a second uh, of a startup if you really prime your application. So just check it out without priming. Don't worry about it. Just as my code crack. 
Uh, and my recommendation is create a singleton, implement other resource, add a couple of hello worlds there's in your logs so that you see the logs uh, being uh, output and and I think you're going to be impressed uh, uh, with the potential. Uh, one of the things that is going to be, uh, so can you clarify, uh, so Snapstart is only supported for versions, right? Yes. So when you come to use uh, AWS Lambda, if you upload your code to, to the Lambda function, you'll see that there's a new config item, which is a uh, function level config item, which is snap start. So you, you change that to to basically be on. And then the next thing you need to do is create what is called a Lambda function version. Um, and this is exactly what you'd expect it to be. So as you change your function code over time, um, you might want to uh, have specific versions, which were you know specific versions from from Git or, or, or some other version control system. And it's that version uh, when you create a version. That's exactly when uh, the snapshotting process happens, and that just means that we can control um, in a little state machine um, how and when uh, the the Lambda function can be invoked. So you create a version, it goes into a pending state while we create the, the snapshot image for you and, and get everything ready. And then once that version is in an active state, then you can invoke that. And it just means that we can we can get everything ready uh, and that you don't have this um, this period where you know not everything's ready and you're not sure what, what's happening. So we, we have this little state machine that allows you to really understand uh, when the snapshotting is finished and then when uh, snapstart will have the effect. So create a Lambda function, create a Lambda version, and then you'll take maybe a couple of minutes to, to create. Once that goes into active, then you'll be ready to go. Yeah, so that's, it's simpler than it sounds. Is you go to the AWS uh, Lambda console and basically you have to edit one setting in configuration. It's just a radio button where you have say, yeah, I want to use the snapstart and then you just go to the versions tab and you click publish version. Recommendation is uh, create your micro application, upload it, enable Snapstar publish version, and then directly in the AWS console in the publish version, you can like invoke a test event and you are going to see the, the startup improvements. Uh, so run the test event against the published version and then go back to the main and run the test events against the not, against the not version and you're going to see the performance improvements. Um, yeah, yes. yeah, that's a good point. Actually, if you if you're if you're thinking, you know, I've I've made all the changes and I'm I'm not seeing any improvement, then snapshotting um, only works on versions of your of your Lambda function. So when you're integrating with API Gateway, you need to specify the the ARN to the Lambda function version, not just the the main Lambda function. So that's often something that trips people up if they've missed, missed a step in a in a guide. And that can be why. So if you're not seeing any improvements, just double check that your your integration is with the Lambda function version uh, and not with the with the at latest or, or something like that. Yeah, another trick at microcrack at a resource that basically outputs something to the logs and you have to see it if it's working otherwise uh, and the logs are going to be different as well. Because there is no like an initialization phase, there is like a restoration phase, right? Yeah, correct. So in the logs, you're going to see like a different output. So check that out as well. So Lambda is supported in Java. Lambda Snapstart is supporting Java 11 runtime. 
only for published versions uh, and which architectures is supported? So it only supports uh, x86 architectures at the moment. Uh, so it doesn't support the, the ARM architecture at the moment. We are working on it. Um, so what's this space? Cool. Are we forgetting anything that we should mention about? Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention uh, actually something else uh, that I mentioned in my article is so whenever I, uh, so we have been lucky to collaborate in a couple of trainings in the past years about the Lambda and the, the Michael Lambda training is a training that many people request us and we have done a couple of lines as well. People are extremely worried about cult startups. Uh, in my opinion, they are more worried than they should be because in reality, cult startups are a rare occurrence. Uh, so the problem is that you see them when you first discover AWS Lambda because you upload the code and that's a cold startup. But in a real scenario and uh, with the load scenario that I described, uh, I did 70,000 requests and only 50 of those as cold startup. So it is important, I agree, that it's important that cold startups are as fast as we can. But it's not like cold startups are going to be like 50% of your requests. <laughs> cold startups yeah. are going to be like a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the requests. It's like 99.9 yeah. .9 of your requests are going to be served in less than 83 milliseconds in our example. Yeah, and I think your load test and, and the load testing that I do as well, we, we purposely uh, make it bad for, for Lambda. So we do this burst of concurrency from from nothing to you know however many concurrency you, you were specifying. So... You, you know, you're immediately trying to get on top of the traffic by by spinning up all of these extra environments. You know, if you if in, in most systems that I've I've ever worked in, you have a gradual increase uh, over time. You know, and those load tests are just harder to write. So it's it's much easier to just say, you know, give me you know 100 concurrent users for 10 minutes, um, which just uh, puts Lambda at its worst, which is fine. You know, we all want to test worst case scenarios. Um, but yeah, you know, if you've done 70,000 uh, invokes and you've only got a handful of, of cold starts in, in the worst case as well, I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's something that uh, that's that's the problem that basically when we are developing, that's the first experience that you have. But this is not the production experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you upload some code. You hit a cold start, you make a change, you, you upload your code, you hit a cold start. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand it. I wish, wish that wasn't the case, but that's that's how the system works. So what's coming in 2023 for AWS Lambda and Snapstart? Yeah, so we've got a couple of, of interesting things. I think people who probably use Snapstart have noticed that we don't support uh, Graviton, which is our ARM architecture. So we're working on that. And also, we're not currently supporting uh, X-Ray, which is our tracing and observability uh, service. Um, so we'd really like to, to support that with Snapstart as well. So if anybody has got any feedback on, on how that should work or any specific features that they would like to see within within X-Ray traces for Snapstart, uh, I'm all ears. Uh, please send any uh, thoughts that you have over to me on, on Twitter. And also, uh, obviously, Java 17 has been out for a while now. We definitely want to be uh, on Java 17, and we want to be using Java 17 with Snapstart. So um, hopefully that will be coming out soon as well. But at the moment, just like all software projects, I, I can't give a date. Um, yeah, yeah, Java 17 is going to be a story for my God for as well. So looking forward to, to Java 17 in, in Lambda uh, runtimes. Um, Anything else would you like to plug? And would you like to give us to give 
uh, now that we have you here, like any tips or tricks for or that things that people should consider when working with Java and Lambda and specifically with the uh, Java and Lambda microns? Yeah, I I'm uh, a bit of a fan. Maybe uh, other people have different opinions, but I'm a bit of a fan of of the of REST controllers. You know, uh, a lot of people develop Lambda functions as a single purpose functions, and that's totally cool if you want to do that. Um, but I've seen that go the wrong way sometimes. So people have thought that, you know, if their API has got 20 different endpoints that they need 20 different Lambda functions. Uh, I'm I'm probably the other way. You know, I'm, I'm happy to have 20, 20 endpoints in my REST controller and have that as a single Lambda function. Um, if those 20 endpoints had 20 different integrations with 20 different databases, then yeah, you know, it probably means that there's there's a separation that needs to happen. But if you're doing 20 similar functions um, or simpler, uh, similar endpoints that have similar functionality, then I just think that should be one, one Lambda function and you'll have a much easier life and uh, easier to test and, and less less infrastructure to manage. So yeah, I would I would definitely look at you know, bringing those interactive applications with your REST controllers <clears throat> using Snapstart to achieve the latency that you need. And I think, yeah, you're going to get the benefits of, of serverless, um, low overhead, uh, low hassle from a security point of view and patching and maintenance. And then, you know, your application is going to scale with usage and your cost is going to scale with usage, which is usually uh, pretty advantageous for, for companies. Yeah, the return of the serverless monolith, right? <laughs> Uh, I think I think monolith has these kind of bad connotations. We're not talking about you know two million lines of code, uh, you know mainframes. We're talking about well well architected applications that you know maybe people have been worried about running in, in lambda functions before because you know people sometimes see um, that you know people are moving single single function or single purpose functions. Uh, I think that's. That's not always, you know, doesn't always have to be the case. I think it's perfectly fine to have, you know, a domain uh, or a micro, you know, if people talk about microservices, I think it's totally fine to have microservices as a Lambda function. Yeah, what I see is that, uh, so for me, um, I, I, I agree that there is like a bad connotation to monolith, not for me. Uh, I think many companies will be best uh, suited with a monolith. And I see with Lambda, what I see is that, People can have like a big lambda with most of their code, and maybe they have they can have like a couple of extra lambdas, maybe one that sends emails with Amazon simple email service, another one which maybe I don't know resizes some images from an S3 bucket and saves like some thumbnails, some so or another lambda that maybe like does like a, a cron job. Uh, so you could have like a small things for this kind of. Uh, really pure like async things that you have to do like sending emails uh, manipulating things in a bucket uh, running scheduled jobs but uh, i think for many companies having like a big uh, lambda with many controllers that will be really a great developer experience uh, and i think it's gonna it will be like as you say it's gonna be something that scales with usage it's gonna have less complexity you don't have to mean like a million request to go through all your microservices so yeah i think i was i said half jokingly about the serverless monolith but i think there is some some water into that that uh, pool and i think uh, in 2023 we're gonna see many people 
like using those kinds of architectures to go to the cloud and really excited to see what they can do with Micronaut uh, about them. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people find you in, in Twitter or in the interwebs? Yeah, at the uh, moment I'm uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm MarkSales3. Um, hopefully we'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah, I'm really, really interested to hear people's feedback. And uh, yeah, if you've got any any uh, uh, positive or negative feedback, obviously happy to hear it. I would like to wrap the podcast by uh, thanking the MyCode Foundation uh, sponsors. MyCut Foundation helps like uh, not just framework development, but also like uh, uh, advocacy and talking about the framework. And for example, this uh, podcast recording. And we have uh, several companies uh, supporting the uh, foundation. We have Object Computing, which is the MyCut Foundation ambassador sponsor. We have Microstream, which is the silver sponsor of the foundation. We have three bronze sponsors, Safri.net, Visor Games, and Hyphen Q. We have our engineering partner, Oracle and two uh, tools and infrastructure partners such as uh, Gradle and JetBrains. Uh, many, many thanks uh, to all of them and also many thanks to the uh, individual uh, community sponsors. Um, without the sponsors, uh, the foundation uh, will not be possible and the development of the framework will not be possible. So many, many thanks. Uh, many thanks to everyone listening to the episode. Uh, my goal for 2023, and this is. Um, the start of the year's uh, uh, wishes, but I think we are going to fulfill this one is to have like a, a get back to the regular uh, bi-weekly uh, cadence for the podcast. So one episode every 15 days. So yeah, uh, as we said in the beginning of the podcast, uh, happy new year to everyone. Thanks for joining me, Mark. And we talk soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye.